home. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we're excited that you're here this morning as we celebrate the sanctity of life. And we, uh, across the front stage here, uh, we have uh, donations given by yourselves, uh, things in these blue bags that uh, baby wipes, baby uh, diapers, uh, then different clothing and blankets and things that was on that list. And I so appreciate our church. This really blew our minds the first time we've ever done something like this. And I guess what really surprised me was the fact that when we suggested this to the Piedmont Women's Center uh, to, to kind of collaborate with them and and uh, <clears throat> help them in these uh, days that uh, they said, you know, we'll have some, tr- some, some churches that will have some groups and do this from time to time, but we've never had an entire church do this. And so um, I, I want to commend you for you uh, jumping in on this, and we celebrate the sanctity of life. And that's really, I told our team a few months ago as we were looking at the calendar as to what to, uh, day this was going to be, you know, January is the sanctity of life month. And I love that. I love the fact. I think they've chosen last Sunday to be uh, in churches, the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I saw some of my friends who uh, celebrated that as well. And so I was rejoicing with them. Last week happened to be our Vision Sunday. And so we just moved it to uh, today. And as you can see, we celebrated some baptisms uh, in the first service and the second service. And so we're very thankful for that. We've had some members already join, uh, some, some families join. And so we're looking forward to that as well. Exodus chapter 1, uh, Joseph uh, ends the, in Genesis chapter 50. The death of Joseph is uh, really how uh, Genesis starts. It starts with creation. It starts with life. It starts with God breathing into the nostrils of man and uh, breathing life into him. And then, of course, it ends with death. Uh, Joseph, a great man, a type of Christ in the Old Testament, Joseph dies and um, and then on on really Exodus takes on a whole new uh, light in the in the in the nation of Israel. Uh, Exodus kind of starts with bondage. Israel uh, and his sons, Jacob and his sons, move to Egypt because of Joseph. Joseph uh, restores and forgives and, and hugs his daddy's neck. And he had the second in command in, in Egypt and, and uh, forgave his brothers for them throwing him in the pit and selling him to the Midianites. And, and, um, and then, of course, Joseph's story is amazing how he came out of the pit and he interpreted those dreams, and Pharaoh uh, was just blown away with the wisdom of this man. And so uh, then they, Pharaoh is so, I guess, blown away by this man's wisdom uh, and uh, how he can interpret dreams that he makes him second in command in Egypt. And, and through all of that, through the providence of God, Joseph is used by God to spare a nation from famine. And he even prophesied about that in his dream. And of course, uh, here we in Exodus, Exodus chapter 1, these are the names of the children of Israel, in verse number 1, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob. So daddy moves to Egypt. The rest of Joseph's brothers moved to Egypt because Joseph says, hey, we restored a relationship and let's come. We'll take care of you. Y'all can be shepherds basically in Egypt, though Egypt uh, frowned on shepherds and wasn't very fond of them. They could raise their cattle there. I mean, they were just, they were blessed by God. But during that season, uh, they multiplied. 
Their families multiplied. The children of Israel multiplied. Now, in your mind, we think that the death of Joseph and the birth of Moses was just a few years. I mean, if we read our Bible that way, we, we look at it. There's only really a chapter in between it. But you've got to understand, there was 321 years between Joseph and Moses. A long time, generation after generation. And the Bible says that when the new king came on, he knew not Joseph. So he didn't remember the Pharaoh, or he knew not the God of Joseph. He knew not the Pharaoh. He knew not all of the things that God had done for them. And so therefore, he looked at Israel as a nuisance. He looked at Israel as, hey, they are outnumbering the Egyptians and we've got to do something about what they are doing. So, these are the names of the children of Israel which came out of Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob. Here's the list of the names. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died and all of his brethren, all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the text that we preached. Thank you for the earlier service and how you worked and how you, uh, Lord, ministered to people and how you, uh, Lord, encouraged my heart. Lord, I thank you for this crowd. I thank you for what you've done in our hearts today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach just a few minutes this morning on the sanctity of life. And I want you to consider some things with me this morning. The first thing that I want you to consider is consider the value of one soul. Consider the value of one soul. We find that in the first six verses of our text in Exodus chapter 1. He lists the names of the children of Israel and which came into Egypt every man. Then he goes into the detail of these men's names, which happen to be the tribes of Israel. They're blessed of God. These are the sons who come to Egypt. And then notice verse 5, And all the souls. Now notice that wording, and all the souls. I love how uh, when uh, the Lord is mentioning this in, in the Bible about individuals, He uses the word souls instead of lives. He, he, he could have said, and look at all the lives that were there, and all the, He could have said all the children. He could have said different things, all the humans, all the people, but He called them souls. And I want you to consider this morning with me the value of one soul. A few weeks ago, I was uh, flying to Palm Desert, California, just a, just a couple weeks ago, and I was uh, boy, we, I've had some a time here lately flying. It seems like every time I fly, I am on this curse uh, of a uh, some type of issue where they sometimes cancel the flight or sometimes they delay the flight. I was on a stretch where it seemed like every time I flew, uh, I was just on time and, and man, everything was great and, and all this. And now I'm on a stretch where it's like, man, other than the doors coming off mid-flight, we, I, I'm, I'm having a tough time. And I'd much rather have the tough time than doors come off, right? And uh, there's been some other things happened lately with the airlines. So, uh, but I was in uh, Chicago and, and I was waiting to board that flight from 
from uh, O'Hare Field to Palm Springs. And uh, the lady came on. We were already an hour late. We were already, you know, saying, hey, we're, we're waiting here. The, here's what happened. It was so cold in Chicago that the fuel truck would not crank. That's what she said. Here, O'Hare Field. Think about it. One of the biggest airports in the nation. They couldn't get the fuel truck cranked because it was negative four degrees. And she said, so therefore we can't leave without fuel. And I thought, well, that, that, that does make sense, right? And uh, please, Lord, crank that fuel truck. Well, finally, uh, they got it going and all that. She said, and here's what she said uh, in counting. And, and I, I don't know. I guess they've said this all the time, but I've, I've never really paid attention. She told the other stewardess there when everybody had checked in, she said, all is accounted for 156 souls. When she said souls, I, I just kind of perked up because obviously we mention souls in the church realm. We, we mention souls because it's in the Bible. But in the secular world, how often would someone use the word soul? But in their, uh, in their context, they look at a life as a person, not just somebody in a seat. According to American Airlines, they look at every individual as a soul. Would to God our government do that? Would to God the medical field in some sense do that? Would to God they would not just look at it as a statistic or as someone that pays taxes or as someone that just exists or non-exists. Hey, would to God they would look at each person as a soul. I want you to consider the value of a soul. We traversed through these genealogies just a moment ago. And listen, anytime you're reading your Bible and you go to a text uh, and it goes through all the lists, some of them are in Exodus, some of them are even in Nehemiah, some of them in Deuteronomy, some of them in some of the Chronicles. And you start going through these books and all of a sudden it says, and, and Ishbinab begat uh, Susiabob, and Susiabob begat Elibob, and Elibob get uh, this and, and buddy you can't even pronounce the names and you're just going Azahaz and, and Shephahar and, and uh, if I'm not saying uh, careful I might say something I shouldn't say you know those old words you know what I'm saying and we're just going through them and we're going through them and we're saying what in the world Lord I'm supposed to read all this how am I supposed to get anything out of reading these names and can I just tell you something uh, you're probably not going to get a life changing experience out of just reading a list of names but one thing that we can take away from genealogies is every one of them people that you just read about God loved them and they had a purpose and guess what? God would not have put their name in the Bible if it wasn't supposed to be there. And when we start tracing the genealogies and we start going all the way back, hey, you can start finding the lineage of this person and the lineage of that person. And hey, listen, if you start studying the lineages, let me tell you something. Sometimes you can get a major blessing because God uh, used something that was broken and messed up and often sinful to make something really beautiful. Genealogies do matter, and, and they matter to God. Every soul matters to God, even to Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss said this in Horton Hears a Who, and yes, I do read that. He said, because I have a two-year-old, by the way, and I won't, after all, a person's a person, no matter how small. Listen, no matter how small and insignificant that you think you may be, you matter to God. You matter to God. 
I recently read about a doctor in, in Portland, Oregon, an abortionist who said this, Jim Newhall's his name. He said, not everybody is meant to be born. I believe for a baby, life begins when his mother wants him. Does that statement not send a chill down your spine? Life does not begin whether a mother wants the baby or not. Life begins at conception. Life begins in the womb. And God is no respecter of persons. In Acts chapter 10, verse number 34, God is no respecter of person. Now, just consider what Job said about life. Here's what Job said in Job 31, verses 13 through verse 15. He said, if I did despise the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, when they contended with me, what then shall I do when God riseth up and when he visiteth and what shall I answer him? Notice what he says. Did not he that made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Job being the oldest book in the Old, in the old Testament as far as in a chronological way. Uh, Job saying, I was formed in the womb and therefore the person that I rise up against was formed in the womb. Hey, if the oldest book thousands of years ago through divine inspiration was written and it's still the same as it is today, we can all agree together that life begins in the womb. And consider the value of a soul. I agree with Randy Alcorn. Randy Alcorn said personhood isn't something to be bestowed on a human being by an Ivy League professor whose intent is on ridding society of undesirables. I don't know if you've been paying attention lately, but the Ivy League schools have been rather disappointing. Because all they're uh, interested in is, is often uh, annihilating a certain race or annihilating a certain uh, kind or age. But can I tell you, their high uh, learning and all the things that they think their education has only made them dumber. So I want you to consider the value of one soul. But secondly, I want you to consider children are a gift from the Lord. Look with me in verse number 7. The Bible says this, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass, that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. The fear of Pharaoh, this new king, he said there are more than them than us. And here's what's going to happen. When this enemy rises up against Egypt, the Israelites are going to team with them and they're going to rise up against us. And we can't have that happen. They felt threatened with all the children being born, especially the males. The Bible says in Psalms 127 and verse number 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. It's important for us to recognize that God gives life. It's even illustrated in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went unto, uh, in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. By reading that verse and the story of Ruth, we believe that the Lord is the gifter of life. 
I know a lot of families that would love to have children. But for whatever reason, they've maybe not been blessed physically, in some sense, physically with children. And sometimes I know they've shared it with me. Preacher, would you pray? I, we'd love to have natural children, uh, biological children. And I, and I know there's other ways. And I know adoption is wonderful. And I thank God for that. And yes, consider that. We'll talk to you a little bit more about that in the days ahead. I know foster care is so wonderful and precious. Hey, but there's some mamas and daddies out here that would just... Love, or, or some husbands and wives rather, that would just love to have children. And they, the, it is a gift of God. You talk to them. Talk to them about it. Interview them and ask them how much they desire to have children. And then you talk to some parents who look at their children as nuisances. Look at them as, oh, they weigh me down. And here we live in a society where they put value on careers and they put value on making money. And here's the advice today that they tell you, and I've heard it said, oh, just wait till you have children and later on in life until you, when you're getting your career set. Listen to me. When God gives you children, you ought to rejoice. And I ain't going to say there's a certain age and a certain time in marriage where Children are the perfect time. Listen, I don't know who plans children, right? Me and my wife are the worst at it. <laughs> I mean, really, we're just, it's, it's a blessing, but we were married two months. And my wife came in and we, didn't even, we were trying to buy a house and we, we had just gotten married. Didn't have two nickels to rub together. I mean, we were poorer than Job's turkey. I'm telling you right now. We were just poor and didn't have a whole lot working in the ministry. She didn't even have a job yet. Didn't really have insurance yet. And she came in and she said, honey, no, no, no. I came in and she was on the bed crying. That was the second one when you came in and I was on the bed crying. No. <laughs> <clears throat> Boy, these memories are, are flashing in my mind. But I'm sitting on the bed, and we're brand new, you know, living in a rental place. It was kind of like the church parsonage. They owned it. We're trying to find a place. And we came in. I mean, we had not figured each other out. We were brand new married. And she walks in and says, Honey. Or I walk in and I say, Honey, what's wrong? And she's on the bed and she goes, She's just sobbing. She said, I'm expecting. I said, expecting what? <laughs> I was expecting dinner at that night, you know, five o'clock. What are you expecting? She said, I'm expecting a baby. We cried. I mean, we both sat on the bed. Did we not cry? Didn't know what was going on. Didn't know how we were going to pay for it. And, and then, so Jake was born. Then a few months later, uh, I, I, I was, you know, in there and I knew something was wrong. And, and, uh, and Rebecca's like, hey, I'll just let you know we're having a baby. And we both cried again. Then we kind of laughed. We're like, oh, no. And really, Colby, years later, we kind of figured all that out. Years later, uh, she uh, came in. She's like, hey, we're going to have a baby. And we were excited. Colby been married for a while. And uh, then we got a little boy. Usually when I go preach somewhere... Uh, they'll, they'll, uh, last night I preached in Shelby, North Carolina, and a newer church. And uh, to me, I'd never been there before. And the preacher's getting to know me. I'd never met him before. 
And he said, uh, tell me about your family. I said, well, I've got a senior in high school and I've got a junior in high school. We went to North Greenville University yesterday looking at the school and, and uh, just kind of looking around. I said, you know, we're getting ready to send uh, my son off to school and then my, my daughter next year. And I said, then we've got an 11-year-old this month. And, and uh, so, you know, we're, she's getting ready to go to middle school. And I said, then we got one in the diapers. Everybody looks at me like, what? I said, yeah, we're just, you know, we're going to be doing this the rest of our life. It's all right. Keeps us young. Hey, you know what, though? I look at our precious family and I look at our children. Often we're in together and our kids are going everywhere and they're driving. They're involved in sports and very seldom do we really get a night together at home often, especially in the middle of school. And, and the other night we were all there together and I started looking at our children across the table and sitting on the couches and I started praising God for what we have because I know there's a lot of people today that would love to have that. Hey, I'm a rich man because God has blessed me with kids in a family. The Bible even says it. In Psalms 127, he says, Lo, a children are a heritage of the Lord. A fruit of the womb is His reward. Hey, our quiver is full. And I thank God for it. I love it when we're in church and there's babies around. I'll be honest with you. A baby ain't welcome in the auditorium. It's a dead church. Amen? Now, we've got nurseries, and I thank God if all of them were in here, it might be... A little chaotic, including mine, right? But I thank God they're here. Why? Hey, a baby, a, a, a church without children is a dying church. And we ought to thank God for the children. And by the way, they're gifts from the Lord. Hey, thirdly, I want you to consider the mindset of those who commit infanticide. Consider the mindset of those who commit infanticide. I want you to look with me in verse number 8 of Exodus chapter 1. The Bible says here, Now there arose up a new king over the Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, and lest they multiply and come out to pass, that when they falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies." And fight against us, and so get thee up out of the land. Therefore did they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built Pharaoh treasured cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. It's a very stressful situation. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake unto the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shipra and the name of the other was Pua. Now think about this for a second. The mindset of this king was, Israel is growing in number and we've got to do something about it. Here was his plan. His plan was let's enslave them and let's beat them and let's make them work with brick and mortar in the heat of the day and let's give them the minimal water and the minimal food and let's get them out there until they're just about to pass out and die and let's lord over them and beat them down and take advantage of these and then They'll want to give up and they'll submit to us. And by the way, 
Israel did submit to Egypt in a way until that great exodus hundreds of years later. But Pharaoh's mindset was he was looking at the Jews, the Israelites, not as an individual. He was looking at them as, hey, let's get a lot of work accomplished. They built those great cities, Ramses and Pithom. Two great treasured cities is what the Bible says, all at the hand of the Israelites. He used bondage. See, in order to take the life of a child, they must rationalize. Now think about this for a second. Anybody that would take advantage of anybody else in order to enslave them or even kill them, murder them. This, you're going to see a progression. You're going to see he started out with, with a, a slavery, but he ends with throwing them in a river. This is a progressive thing. And it's never something where they're satisfied. It's always more and more. They rationalize. I, I love the Second World War history. There was very sad history with it, especially the way the Germans and Nazi Germany did the Jews and all the things leading up to the Second World War. There was a man by the name of Adolf Eichmann. He was on trial for his Nazi crimes. He killed over 400,000 Jews himself under his leadership. He, in his own defense, said this, Adolf Hitler may have been wrong all the way down the line, but one thing is beyond dispute. The man was able to work his way up from Lance Corporal in the German army to Fuhrer of a people of almost 80 million. His success alone proved that I should subordinate myself to this man. To sum it all up, I must say that I regret nothing. This was a man that saw almost as many as we have in our county put to death under his leadership. A man that followed a man only because of his rise to his prominence to power. There was another man, a great man, by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was personally sentenced to death by Adolf Hitler, a preacher. He said, we must finally stop appealing to theology to justify our reserved silence about what the state is doing, for that is nothing but fear. Open your mouth for the one who is voiceless. For in the church today still remembers that that is the least of the Bible demands in times such as these. He said this, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Church of God, can I say this? Faith family, it's time we speak up. We have become desensitized to the atrocities in our nation. Anymore, we're watching the news and there'll be something flash across the screen that'll say, school shooting. And you know what we'll do? We'll say, oh, that's terrible. And then we'll flip the channel. Man, years ago when we read that or when we first heard about that, it would break our heart. It would shock us. It, it would bring us to tears when we would hear the atrocities that's happening in our nation. And now we hear numbers coming out that uh, this of abortion. And you know what often it's a stat. But can I remind you that every stat, everything that is said is a soul. 
And church, it is time that we speak up and speak out. It's time that we speak up and speak out. And by the way, if the church is silent, then we're just going along with it. Here at Bible Baptist Church, we value life. Amen? We value life. Consider the mindset of those. I cannot even, I cannot even consider the mindset of those who would commit such atrocities to children. The Bible says 16 times in Scripture, it tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart toward God. The Bible also addresses the severely hardened mind in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these verses. This is where we're living. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Listen to this. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. People today that commit these crimes, putting children that have been aborted in waste baskets and throwing them in trash cans and discarding them like a piece of garbage has had their conscience seared with a hot iron. And it's time we, the church, not turn our heads about it. And by the way, can I say this? It's time that we start voting at the polls for life. You say, well, pastor, he's a good guy or she's a good gal, but she is a little on, 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 a, on abortion and a little bit more pro-choice than pro And i tell you something, listen to me, we cannot contradict the Bible. If the Bible calls it murder, if the Bible says that those that shed innocent blood, hey, there's a curse on them. Hey, can I tell you, church, listen, there's no gray area with God, especially in the sense of life. Especially in the sense of life. Let's hold our political figures, let's hold their feet to the fire and remind them of that. I, I love the march of life. One day, one of my dreams, one of my bucket lists is to march down Washington uh, there at the Capitol and be in that big old march with all them people uh, celebrating life and, and showing the importance of life. Why? Because it is important to show where we stand. And I appreciate those politicians that do stand on those things. Adolf Eichmann, I, I read to you just a moment ago, a, a famous Nazi leader responsible for taking the lives of over 400,000 Jews. Peter Malkin captured Eichmann in, in Argentina in 1960. They fled from Germany to Argentina and they were captured and they brought them back to Israel for trial. And as time passed, that long trip back to Jerusalem, they began to talk and Malkin uh, told him, he said, you have a beautiful boy. I saw him through the window. He reminds me of another boy that could have been his brother. It was my sister's son. The only difference is that boy is dead. At this, the prisoner who was Adolf Eichmann clenched his teeth and he looked at Mr. Malkin and he said, it's not my fault that he was a Jew. These people look at them. And by the way, we're seeing hatred toward the Jew today on another level. And by the way, let me just say this. 
You say, well, pastor, it was worse under Adolf Hitler. Well, what they were doing to them in those gas chambers and those camps, yes, it was terrible. But if they had their way today, they'd do the same thing. The same thing. Life doesn't matter. Race. They, they, it's the, you're talking about racist. That crowd's racist. You're talking about all the, the oppression and all the things. Listen, it's terrible what has happened and no value. I'm trying to bring in your mind, consider the mindset of those who commit such crime. Bring into mind even the mindset of Pharaoh who says, I don't care about these children. I don't care about their parents. Hey, let's do what we can and let's put them under bondage. But I want you to also consider this. Consider the mercy of the midwives. I want you to look with me in verse number 15 of Exodus chapter 1. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife, now there was more than two midwives in Egypt. These, I believe these two, who was uh, Shipra and Pua, these were the two midwives, what you call the head midwives. They would be probably ones that were over, they kind of governed over the rest of the midwives in Egypt. And so he, he says, and by the way, Shipra, her name uh, means beauty, and Pua, her name means brilliancy. And so they were beautiful and brilliant. And here's what they said in verse 17, but the midwives feared God. Now I love this because God had a plan. Pharaoh's plan was to take these midwives and basically use them to kill all of the male sons, all of the new babies that's being born. You go ahead and get rid of them. And these two beautiful and brilliant women, these these head midwives, if you will, in Egypt, they had a plan because they feared Jehovah God. Amen. And it says, and they did not as the king of Egypt commanded them because they feared God more than man. Amen. And save the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called the, for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwife said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Meaning, they're a little faster than the Egyptian women. And so by the time we get there to, give, uh, the, to help with the birth, uh, they've already had the children. Now, I'm not sure that was true or not. But I like the fact that they hesitated. I like the fact that they believed differently and said, you know what, we fear God more than we do man and we're going to say whatever we can to keep these male children alive. And therefore God dealt with, in verse 20, with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. I want you to consider the mercy of the midwives. Exodus 1.17 says, but the midwives feared God. Psalms 111 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding have all they that do His commandments. May God help us in these days to have the fear of God and to understand what is right and what is wrong. And when we're faced with the choice, we choose right. Amen? 
These two women have more backbone than most of the men living today, right? These two women, these two midwives have more backbone than a lot of politicians have today and even preachers that won't dare preach a message on the sanctity of life for fear of offending people. Listen, I don't care who I offend when I preach the Bible. I don't want to offend nobody, but if the Scripture offends you, oh well. Oh well. And here's what you ought to do with that. If you're offended by that, get right with God. You say, well, don't blame the preacher. You can blame the preacher all you want to, but thus saith the Lord. We, we choose right. And here, when we're given the choice to choose wrong or right, may we fear God and may we choose right. And God bless these midwives for their obedience. And by the way, He'll bless you. He'll bless us. He'll bless us for choosing right. Here's the last thing I want to show you. Look with me in the last part of this verse. In verse 22, in the last part of this chapter, the Bible says this, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river. Now, you see the progression? Started out with bondage. Then it, then it went to, well, we're going we're gonna to make sure they're, they're killed. And, and, of course, that didn't work. And now we're just going to toss them into the Nile River, that crocodile-infested river. We're just going to throw them in there, and surely that will annihilate them. Why did, why did uh, Pharaoh want to annihilate all of the? Because he knew that if he killed every son, generations would never really see that anymore. Generations would die off, and they'd never reproduce. They'd never be a threat to Egypt again. And he spared the daughters. He said, you can save them, but, but you throw them children in the river. And I want to call your attention to Jochebed. Jochebed was Moses' mother. If you look with me in chapter 2 and verse 1, just, just briefly look at this. And, and it says there, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child. This, this young baby was different than the other babies. A goodly child. I believe there's much more to that. I believe God had a plan for Moses. And I believe Jochebed, being a feared, uh, God-fearing woman, she knew this was a special birth. There was something different about this baby. He was a goodly child. She hid him three months. Why? Because his life was in danger. She said, I've got to come up with a plan. I've got to save this boy that I love. And so verse 3, and when she could not hide or no longer hide him, she took him uh, an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with, with slime and with pitch. And the child therein, she laid in the flags by the river brink, meaning she put them in the reeds, the high reeds and, and weeds there by the river bank and pushed that ark out into the river. Look at verse 5. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. So verse 4 says the sister stood afar off. Miriam, she's looking. She's watching. What's, what's going to happen? What's this Egyptian woman going to do to my little brother? And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when they saw the ark... Among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go to call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women? That she may nurse the child for thee? Now God's in all this. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. Go find a Hebrew woman. Now who are they going to find? 
Israel has multiplied. There's now lots of mamas out there. There's lots of people out there. Surely they're just going to find a Hebrew woman that would love to nurse a little child. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Well, here we go. We go full circle. Here's Jochebed. You know she was happy when she got Moses back under the permission of the government. Everything's looking good. You know what they called Moses? If you look down to verse 10, she said, I'm going to call his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water, God spared his life. You know, the ark in Genesis was a type of salvation. I believe the ark in Exodus is just another type of salvation. God spared what man meant for bad. God meant for good. The same water that was going to bring death to a little child is the same water that actually brought life. And he was brought out. Can I just say, it was a river of life for Moses. Moses means drawn out or rescued. Here a baby is destined to be drawn unto death, but instead he's drawn from these crocodile-infested waters. I give thanks today that Roe versus Wade was overturned uh, here uh, recently in the last couple years, but America is still living in the culture of death. And my friend, can we say at Bible Baptist Church and even in your home, we ought to be people for life. And we ought to rescue every child we possibly can. Why did we partner with the Piedmont Women's Center? I'll tell you why we did, because if it makes a difference in one baby's life, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. If one mama goes in confused and discouraged and maybe not knowing what the next step is and somebody loves her and gives her a little gift from the Piedmont Women's Center instead of giving that child away or even aborting that child in her womb, may we be used of God in that girl's life and that baby's life. I believe this. I believe there's a shortage today of, of, of preachers and there's several reasons why there's pastors today that are that do not or there's churches today that do not have a, a pastor especially it's amazing but especially in at least I'm familiar with in the south states like Mississippi Alabama uh, South Carolina Georgia Florida there's places that I know that just they, they cannot find a pastor I know churches that's now going on two and three years And someone asked me, Pastor, why do you believe that there is a dearth of pastors in our nation? I believe there's several reasons. First, there's a spiritual dearth in our land. Men are not answering the call like they did years ago. They're more or less career-minded. They're wanting to make money and all the other stuff. But I believe the second reason that we're having a shortage of pastors in America is because we've murdered babies for 40 and 50 years. I wonder how many men who would be preaching today, but their mama never gave them a chance. I wonder. Now we know under grace, all these babies are in heaven. I, I believe that with all my heart. But I wonder if, if, if that happens, you're messing up God's plan for that child. You're, you're stepping in and playing the role of God and you're determining life and death. And We shouldn't do that. I just wonder how many would be preaching today, but never got a chance to live. My friend, we as a church should stand for life, and we ought to stand for it firmly, unapologetically, 
We ought to stand for these places that help these families. And that's part of it. And also, uh, 